0: Hey guys, it's Ashley and Sammy from the Pixie Dust Twins podcast. If you love Disney, you should come join the fun on our weekly show.
1: Our podcast is family friendly and talking about all things Disney.
0: Whether you go to the parks or just love binging Disney+, Plus, we are the podcast for you. So grab your Pixie Dust, think happy thoughts, and join us on your favorite podcasting platform. Check out LimitlessBroadcasting.com and aim for the second star on the right and straight on till you land on the Pixie Dust Twins podcast.
1: Your whole life can change in an instant. About 50 million adults in the United States have chronic pain and because of a car accident, Robbie is one of them. In their marriage vows, Robbie and Sammy promise to stand by one another and provide strength when needed. And lately, they've been facing some of their biggest challenges. Join them as they share the ups and downs of living with chronic pain.
0: Welcome to the painful truth of living with chronic pain podcast. We're your hosts. I'm Sammy,
1: and I'm Robert
0: or Robbie or Robbie. My turn be super formal. Super Every time formal. We do this, Every it's okay. time. It's all right. Uh, you are listening to part three of our five part series titled "Inspired by Dope Sick, A Look into the Family That Addicted America."
1: Sorry, we have been MIA for a minute.
0: Yes, I wanted to start with an apology. There was a lot going on. Like some of us were out of town for a while.
1: Yeah, I was working. And it just was not
0: going to work. And then when he did come back, we were just trying to find time to fit this in. So our apologies. I'm going to try and get the next couple episodes together and out a little bit more timely. (laughs) because they're basically ready to go but
1: you just haven't had time to record on yeah
0: this one's just been chilling in my notes so
1: so I want to give a shout out to Philip Rasa Uh, hopefully I'm saying that name right
0: Mm -hmm. you hit
1: me up on Facebook yes I wanted to say you know I hit you up but I wanted to say I got your message thank you
0: Mm -hmm. Uh,
1: if you need help with your podcast let us know and mm-hmm. we will help you out
0: yeah he said he is working on producing one with his wife too because exactly. he can relate to things that we talk about so yep it's very cool to know that other people are out there and get it
1: so definitely yep. help us out and go to wherever you get your podcasts any like, podcast some, platform yeah like subscribe Yes. And uh, rate us five stars. That yes, would be great. Please. So
0: Apple Podcasts usually can do ratings around Google, iHeartRadio, Deezer. Deezer. I don't I don't have any to do with some of these a are few, Spotify. Few,
1: a few people listen to us. On they Deezer. do. So I
0: think it's more popular. But I just didn't know no, it, much about we know it. Of, yeah. So. But they're literally basically Amazon. Like you can pretty much listen to us. Audible. All yes. of that. It's just. Yep. Basically anywhere. Make sure.
1: So I'm riveted. What is going on with uh, the the Dope Sick series?
0: So today's episode, we are talking about how OxyContin became a billion dollar drug for Purdue Pharma. So wasn't it
1: over a billion or was it a billion?
0: No, I think it's over. Yeah, it's over a billion, but you get the gist of what I'm talking about. So I'm talking about the money specifically, some numbers, the sales force, very exciting and angering
1: all at once stuff. Yes. They're not bad. They can do better. How's our video testimonial coming? Uh, A bit slow. The drug is so new, there's not a lot of people who can testify to it at this point. Then find some. Yes, sir. Physicians need to know it could take its place next to
0: penicillin as one of the most important in the history of medicine let's hold more weekend seminars to explain to physicians how truly revolutionary this drug is ready to dive in yep i'm ready all right so let's talk about some of the money and the numbers to start off with So when Purdue Pharma introduced OxyContin in 1996, it was aggressively marketed and highly promoted, as we know, because we've been discussing this a little bit on the show already. And if you've watched anything we recommended, you would know it from there, too. So the internal Purdue documents that date from 1996 to 2002 show modest... Modest. We're gonna put this in quotes. Modest sales of forty nine point four million dollars in nineteen ninety six. Modest sales, huh? <laughs> Again, let's put this in some quotes here. And Purdue actually posted a loss of four hundred and fifty two thousand dollars on the drug in its first year, I think really? because they were spending so much money on marketing materials. right really? Okay. Yeah, it's very interesting, right? In nineteen ninety seven, sales reached. 146.5 million dollars and gave a pre-tax profit to purdue of 16.5 million dollars wow. but that's never enough for a good old purdue farm and the sackler family it's insane though those numbers when you think about it that's crazy for especially back in there i don't know what inflation would make that in,
1: in, in today's
0: that. numbers but it's a lot of money regardless of how you look at it yeah so in 2001 alone the company spent 200 million dollars in an array of approaches to marketing and promoting oxycontin 200 million
1: dollars that's a lot of money to
0: market and promote this drug in 2001. that's insane the sales as we said started off modestly in 1996 but by 2000 it reached almost 1.1 billion dollars in sales it's it's crazy. So, and when we started out in 1996 with the drug, it averaged about 316,000 prescriptions to make up that like 44 million dollar thereabout estimate of how much they sold. In 2001 and 2002, combined sales of nearly three billion dollars were reached, and there was over 14 million prescriptions written for this drug. Wow! So we went from 316,000 in 96. To over 14 million between 2001 and 2002. wow that's a lot of people
1: that's a lot yeah. of doctors yeah and hospitals this, and everything prescribing this that's stuff. a
0: lot of prescriptions for this yeah. medication that's insane yeah yeah so in 2004 oxycontin was approaching 2 billion dollars a year in sales that's crazy right yeah even better the family's estimated wealth in 2016 so we're talking about the Sacklers was $13 billion. Wow! I can't even wrap my head around how big of a number that is literally. Can't even like process that. So, looking back at some email exchanges, because I love to read these and get annoyed by them. and
1: Get annoyed by them.
0: <laughs> one and report on them, yes. Uh-huh. On October 23rd, 1996, in an email exchange with executives, Richard Sackler shows his attention to detail. In this case, he was talking about whether dinner programs that Purdue hosts for doctors are cost-effective in driving an increase in attendees prescribing of OxyContin. So he said in this email, physicians who attended the dinner programs or the weekend meetings wrote more than double the number of new prescriptions for OxyContin compared to the control group, which I'm assuming those are just like their doctors they market to who didn't attend these dinners, meetings, whatever.
1: But didn't people get in trouble, physicians get in trouble for attending these meetings?
0: It was more. There started to be some questioning, as we talked about in the last episode, with the pain groups and getting paid by Purdue and and all of that. But I don't think anyone technically got in trouble, except for the Sacklers. Okay, really and truly, Sackler noted that weekend meetings had the greatest impact, increasing new prescriptions for oxycotton by a factor between two point one six and two point six two billion. Just they're just saying like those they tended to average basically two times more prescriptions. Okay. Is really what it is. Not not in billions or anything. It's just an average of how much they were prescribing.
1: Okay.
0: <sighs> still ridiculous. That is
1: ridiculous. So they're having the drugs.
0: and they're having this whole conversation about which I understand it's a marketing ploy, but still the idea of these dinners and seminars and meetings was to provide education. Right. And it's not. It's to get people, or I'm sorry, doctors, not people, doctors to prescribe their drug to patients. So that's
1: really the goal. That's crazy.
0: We will talk about this more in another episode, but over 3,000 cases have been brought against Purdue Pharma from public and private claimants, with over 47 American states suing the company, 29 of which specifically named the Sackler family as defendants. Wow. So that's what a does lot. that mean? We will dive into that more because I'm still researching and reading about it, but this is the whole thing that was really all over the news. They okay. did go into, as you see in dope sick right they they showed some of the the Aftermath. allegations and everything when they basically threw some of their executives under the bus. but more recently in the news, and what's been a bigger thing is the Sackler family themselves so
1: but the but the executives didn't get any jail time or anything like I that. I mean,
0: nothing really happened no
1: okay yeah, that's between, jumping ahead but we will discuss, keep listening yes, to this episode. executive
0: <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah exactly we will we will discuss this so another interesting thing to note from some of these documents that were uncovered through various basically various newspapers and research companies looking at all of this stuff when it got released executives knew that the oxycotton pills were being crushed and snorted and the company's sales reps used words like "street value," "crush," "snort" in 117 notes from visits to medical professionals between 1997 and 1999. Wow, that seems a little sketchy. Yeah, there, especially if they're reporting it and nothing was really done about it, as we know, because this whole opioid crisis did not occur by 19. What did I just say? 1999. It did not occur by then. So, yeah. yeah. Makes you really wonder about some of this stuff. Yeah. Oxycontin and similar painkillers can and do become, or patients who take it can and do become addicted to the drugs. The CDC, or the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention, actually says that anyone who takes prescription opioids can become addicted to them, and that as many as one in four patients receiving long-term opioid therapy in a primary care setting struggles with opioid addiction and a review article in the new England journal of medicine reported rates of carefully diagnosed addiction in pain patients averaged just under 8% in studies, but misuse abuse and addiction related behaviors range from 15 to 26% of pain patients. So just keep that in mind because next episode, I believe it's the next episode we're going to actually be talking about addiction and how it spread like wildfire with this medication. So we're looking at all these numbers and all these sales and when it comes down to it, none of it acknowledged the underlying problem that they were addicting everybody to this medication.
1: Yes, they were. Yeah.
0: Mm-hmm. So let's talk about the sales force for a little bit. Shall we? Mm-hmm, let's do that. 1996 to 2000, Purdue increased its internal sales force from 318 sales representatives to 671. So it's basically more than doubled what they had. And its total physician call list went from 33,400 to 44,500 roughly. And that's to start off. So this is is the range. So 33,000 to 44,000 originally when they start off in 96. By the time we reached 2000, they were reaching out to 70,500 to 94,000. Wow. So up to 94,000 physicians they were reaching out to wow. by 2000. So again, it doubled
1: that in that mind. time.
0: Mm-hmm. It's insane. So the Salesforce had a lucrative bonus system that encouraged the representatives to increase sales of oxycotton in their territories. So they were each assigned little regions and territories that they worked in. And that resulted in a large number of visits to physicians with high rates of opioid prescriptions, as well as a multifaceted information campaign that was specifically aimed at them. So basically they were able to see the prescribing habits of doctors and then they targeted them. They're already writing prescriptions for opioids. So hydrocodone, morphine, whatever it may be they went after them because they were going to be more likely to prescribe Oxycontin.
1: Do people with long-term pain still get prescribed this? Yes.
0: Mm -hmm. I know I've seen it. Mm -hmm.
1: So what's the deal with Oxycontin and Percocet? What's the difference?
0: So Oxycontin Um, is a long-acting version of what's in Percocet. They both contain Oxycodone. So Percocet is what we call immediate release Oxycodone. Percocet is just Oxycodone plus Tylenol. That's all it is. It's the combination of the two. So you take it more often, four times a day. Right. Because right. it doesn't last as long. Oxycotin is supposed to be a twelve hour drug, so you're supposed to only take it twice a day, which was its benefits. However, we've clearly debunked that as being a lie. And most people need to actually take it three times a day.
1: So did they in the wake of all this, did they have to change their formula or I don't believe
0: there there was one point where they tried to make a version of it that was less able to be crushed up and snorted, but it was bullshit and it did not work.
1: Really Okay no,
0: it was nothing. I remember that being a whole big deal. ah, oh, we're making this this un this is a long-acting opioid that can't be abused it was bullshit. People still found a way to to
1: so break it up i think they break it up yeah i don't
0: remember if they like cooked it or they smushed it up i'm and sure if i don't there's remember a will, what, there's a way what the way was to get around it but these people i uh, may talk about next episode but i don't remember but the way you abuse oxycotton and it's all over if you watch any of these stories or read about it or anything related to this whole crisis the way you do it is you lick off the coating which sounds Gross. That it doesn't does. taste good. But you lick it off, and then they would say, like, you knew what strength people were on because they wipe it off on their shirt and then they could crush it up and inject it or snort it or whatever.
1: Wow, I did not know that. Whatever so, they is there coating on Percocet as well?
0: Not like that, no. Okay. Because the coating on this was meant to make it so it lasted longer in your system. So, when it got into your stomach and your intestines, it would take longer to absorb. Okay. For yours, if you're taking Percocet, or just plain oxycodone there's no need for that there's a certain coating so it gets down in your stomach lining and all that to get absorbed but it's not the same thing
1: question of the day for everybody that's on long-term pain medication does it make you nauseous because it makes me nauseous Mm -hmm. like I throw up every day almost Mm -hmm. and I believe that's because I'm on long-term pain medication and I use that so does that happen to any of you guys
0: yes let us know because we're actually going to do an episode yeah specifically we've talked about side effects things like that but we want to kind of really hone in on the idea of nausea
1: something and that pain I'm medication
0: really, something he's really struggled with and we've been having a lot of conversations about
1: pain management is pain management really mm-hmm. worth it mm-hmm. finding a good doctor I have some thoughts all on of that. that stuff yes mm-hmm. i mean I, I know we haven't been recording as much as we want but things are still. So Going on, and mm-hmm. we're still dealing with this fight.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, we have some other episodes coming up that we'd like to focus on some things like that, that we've been talking about and what's worked for him. And maybe you can tell us what works for
1: you. Sorry if you hear our dog in the background. I don't she's, know what she's doing. She's trying to. F-
0: She's sniffing all over the place. And wants some attention. She's mad because we took her ball because she's loud and obnoxious.
1: That's exactly what it is.
0: But I didn't want to leave her alone outside the door because she'd make her other dog crazy and I was worried if it starts to rain she might get a little upset. So
1: yeah. Yes. We're mm. we're recording this on a cloudy day. So yes,
0: on a very Florida rainy, mm. typical summer day. Anyway, all right, so we talked about the bonus system, and I believe I have a little bit more notes possibly on that coming up. In 2001, in addition to the average sales representative's annual salary of $55,000, annual bonuses averaged $71,500 with a range of as low as $15,000. Keep in mind, this is bonuses. Fifteen thousand
1: dollars of bonus.
0: Fifteen one five thousand dollars in bonuses to a high of nearly two hundred and forty thousand dollars. Wow, that so was some rep crazy. out there was getting almost two hundred forty thousand dollars in Quarter bonuses. Quarter a
1: million dollars. It's crazy. You can buy a Ferrari with that.
0: And they were they were driving nice, very nice cars and living the life. I don't know that all of them were, but a lot of them were. At the end of the day, yeah. Purdue paid. $40 million in sales incentive bonuses to its sales representatives in 2001. You said $40 million? $40 million.
1: Almost makes me want to go into pharmaceutical sales.
0: Well, I don't think you can do that now. Also, if I remember right, and some of the things I read about and some of the things we've watched, one of the big things about Purdue was they didn't do caps. Right. So you could just keep earning, earning, earning. A lot of people, a lot of drug companies don't do that. There's max caps that you can earn.
1: So I'm assuming if you're a pharmaceutical sales, right, you're making good money.
0: Yes. But I believe you can still make good sales bonuses. I just don't know if you can make $240,000 at any drug company you might wander into. Eventually the average annual bonuses for sales reps would climb to nearly a quarter of a million dollars. Now that's we just talked about on the high end of 2001 it was nearly a quarter million this is saying that eventually down the line the average salesperson was earning a bonus of about a quarter of a million
1: dollars the average salesperson the average Jeez, those those were the good old days right so
0: i can't imagine what the top salesmen were were earning Then it's insane it's whoo, yeah we, we talked about this in the last episode, but from 19, just to remind you, from 1996 to 2001, Purdue conducted more than 40 national pain management and speaker training conferences at resorts in Florida, Arizona, and California. And they had more than 5,000 physicians, pharmacists, and nurses attend the all expenses paid trips where they were recruited and basically trained to be part of their speaker bureau and tout the benefits of OxyContin to everybody when they went home. So we we talked a lot about that in the last episode, but just to remind you, this was part of this whole sales idea and Salesforce. They were really in effect getting all this free stuff and kind of being paid in that way to represent and sell XCom for them. If you think about it, yeah, it's just a, mm-mm. Sketchy. So through the sales representatives, Purdue used a patient starter coupon program for OxyContin that provided patients with a free, limited time prescription for a seven to thirty day supply. Okay. By two thousand and one, when the program was ended, approximately thirty four thousand coupons had been redeemed nationally. Wow. Now, if you think about the problem with this, is you get that prescription for OxyContin, whether it's seven day or thirty day or somewhere in between supply. And what happens
1: you get addicted
0: mm, yes so you so use let, your coupon and now you're
1: stuck let's back up for a second when you take oxycontin can you ad- get addicted from the first dose
0: really and truly yeah because it's basically heroin
1: so is percocet heroin too
0: i mean a version of
1: it right yeah
0: essentially but the problem with this one is that because of its longer acting mechanism, because it takes longer to clear out of your system, Mm -hmm. I think it causes more problems because of that. But still, if you're taking Percocet, morphine, anything like that, you can become addicted fairly quickly to these drugs.
1: So especially
0: if you're taking them and you don't have the pain level, like these people are being prescribed Oxycontin because they like broke their finger. I mean, there's no reason to give them something that strong.
1: I am in pain. Mm -hmm. my my pain level on a scale of one to ten is always between a nine and a Mm ten but I don't even think I should be on Mm -hmm. oxycodone Mm -hmm. I'm Percocet is a stretch for me Mm
0: -hmm.
1: and keep in mind this period of my life I've been on more drugs than any other
0: Mm -hmm.
1: any time in my life yeah and I don't want to be it's just that's a process we're trying to do I keep going back to Percocet, because that's what I take. Mm -hmm. Couldn't I get addicted from that the first time I took it?
0: Yeah, realistically, but because it clears out of your system more quickly than this one, it would be a little bit harder to kind of get physically addicted to it. Do you because f- it clears out within a couple of hours. So you get your high and then you may want to repeat it because you enjoyed it, but it's not as likely with this, it takes longer to clear out of your system. So then you really start to feel like those withdrawals and like those itchiness and that fiending kind of feeling I- for it. And they keep in mind too, you're taking 10 milligrams, I believe right now of oxycodone.
1: They're right? stronger.
0: These, they started people at double, triple quadruple.
1: So what
0: you what you started with? Well, actually, you started lower than that and worked your way up to that's another thing you start on hydrocodone and then kind of
1: they're actually talking about increasing my prescription. So what's the next like if I were to go up? Where would I go up to? I
0: mean, they can increase your Percocet dose or they can switch you to something like Oxycontin, which I would.
1: So that's not the thing for me. It would be Oxycontin
0: potentially i don't know what they mean by increase your dose like they can give you strength 20 milligrams of straight oxycodone and tell you to take it four times a day and you could just take tylenol with it they can increase maybe tell you to take like five a day six a day i wouldn't recommend that but i used
1: on it uh, in the beginning of this i was taking eight a day because don not to people from my pain management company were like if you're in pain just keep taking more and more medicine that's not and then that's what I did
0: that's literally not what you should be doing at all but that's which is why I do think we should revisit this in a whole episode to discuss things you've been told and things that are incorrect exactly yes so I really think we're going to revisit this in an episode because it's really pissed me off a lot of things and I don't go to the the, appointments anymore the last time
1: I was in an appointment I missed my appointment because I was out of town.
0: So, no, this is what happened. So he went in April, got a prescription, picked it up at some point in April. I don't know when you picked it up, I don't remember. And then you were supposed to go in May and you were out of town. And wasn't it was, out of
1: my prescription yet. and
0: you weren't out of it. And you were like, ah, it's fine. Whatever. I guess I'll just make an appointment for
1: June, when right? I get back into town. Early June. It's not a big deal. Get into my appointment. I'm seeing my nurse practitioner Mm -hmm. and she asked me, am I hoarding my pain medication? Mm -hmm. What did you do for your pain medication? Were you hoarding it? And I was like, no, I'm not hoarding it. My wife's a pharmacist. She helps me dose it out. Mm -hmm. That pissed me off. So Mm -hmm. what I've been trying to do is I've been trying to just take one percocet a day, a half of a pill. I take with, with four ibuprofen in the morning and a half of a Percocet. He's talking
0: about over-the-counter ibuprofen because right. he has yet to go pick up his prescription. I do. Have I just want to pre- clarify he's not taking <laughs> and killing his kidneys by taking right. a prescription strength, four of the prescription strength right. ibuprofen. Please I mean, don't I, do that.
1: I have a prescription for it. I just yes. haven't picked it up. Yes. But for the over-the-counter ibuprofen and a half of a Percocet. So I do that in the morning and night. Mm-hmm. And the reason why I'm trying to do that is that I'm trying to get off a of pain medication. Yes. But my notice, my pain has increased.
0: Mm-hmm. And this is another reason why I think we should do a whole episode on this, because there are such things as rebound pain. Right. So you take the medicine, take the medicine, you build your tolerance up. So then when you get off of it or you stop, you your signals are all messed up. So you're just like, oh, I'm in so much worse pain than I was before. But you got to kind of let it even out. Right and let your body kind of readjust because you've been messing with your receptors and your pain signals for so long, that now your body is just like, ah, going crazy.
1: What, my question to the audience is for those of you that go to pain management, what is the craziest thing that you've been asked at pain management? Mine was, are you hoarding your pain man- management mm-hmm. or pain medications? And for people that know in the pain management system, you have to fill out questionnaires, what you do with it, why you're there, blah, blah, blah. And they ask you these questions. Have you ever hoarded your medicine? And I'm always like, no, I haven't. I have no need, need to. Mm-hmm. So what is the weirdest question you've been asked or accused of doing?
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a good question. Let us know. And then if uh we hear from you we can give you a shout out when we yeah, record that we would that. love to
1: have some of you guys actually on our show
0: yes please hit us up
1: because we're be trying to build it. this more of a community of people with chronic pain and chronic illnesses we're trying to show support
0: yeah please let us know
1: yeah definitely mm-hmm. maybe Phil. Will yeah
0: want we can Phil check in
1: and his wife will want to come out on check the show in and
0: see if they want to and they can promote their their podcast too
1: yeah all right. Well, back to dope sick.
0: Back to our regularly scheduled topic of the day. So in talking about the Salesforce and ways that they promoted the drug, the distribution to healthcare professionals of branded promotional items included things like oxycotton fishing hats, fishing. stuffed plush toys. Although I don't know if it was like a bear with like an oxy cotton shirt or what. I'm assuming Probably. that's what they meant, not like an oxy like pill or something music compact discs or cds which included a song called get in the swing with oxycontin you should really go on Isn't youtube the because thing? yeah we've seen some of this bullshit, and it's it's laughable and it's embarrassing to watch they, but they would perm- they would use these songs in their big
1: they took like company Rocky
0: meetings beat. and things
1: they took a drag beat i i love bad bitches that's what it's that's the beat and then they would rap over it so people that know Drake would know the beat mm-hmm. so they would hire people to create raps for yeah this is what they were spending money on I mean it's in in the show on dope sick on Hulu mm-hmm. so definitely yeah. watch this
0: but if you want to just google it for yourself it's ridiculous so the idea of doing things like this, like these promotional items, was actually unprecedented for a Schedule II opioid, according to the drug enforcement administration.
1: So what does that mean? I wonder in, why in layman's terms.
0: Unprecedented for a opi- opioid. Basically you can't nobody was doing way. this. Why are you advertising your narcotic medication like this? it's kind of crazy. We would get way back in the day pens and counting trays at the pharmacy. Sometimes drug reps would bring us like food. I bet that was nice though. But we really loved getting free pens. That was great. That was always our go to notepads, things like that's what we would get in pharmacy land. That's what they would bring us. So the idea of them doing this kind of swag is just insane you know, most drug companies are like, here's a pen, please remember us and you're taking your notes or a notepad or something.
1: If you owned a pharmacy, Mm -hmm. do you think they would take you to dinner and all of that stuff?
0: Yeah, they would do seminar like dinners and things and some places still offer it as continuing education where you can go and sit at these I've went to one or two when I was in school, where you went to a nice dinner and they fed you and then you learned about a drug while you sat there. But it's a little questionable about the ethics on it, especially for something like drug. this. Yeah, that's the whole idea is you're hearing why their drug is so great and so miraculous and why you should be prescribed it. Now for me, I don't I don't prescribe drugs. I mean, I'm going to be real honest with you, like, if I can help because the drug works better for you, or it's more cost effective for you. Yeah, I'll help out. But otherwise, I mean, I don't I don't have any saying what your doctor's writing a prescription for
1: you just help fill it
0: no if they ask my opinion on something and i'm able to give an educated opinion yeah but otherwise i mean i'm not really involved in that and so i like the free pens though that was nice until they keep becoming coming weren't free allowed pens, to do it anymore they can't do that anymore no fda kind of squashed that so. why is that well it's slightly unethical because you're influencing but what they started doing was you would get coupons dropped off this was still continuing when I was still working retail. The drug reps would bring coupons for their prescriptions, which was cool because you'd be like, Yeah, I can use these for patients. And they wouldn't bring pens or anything. They would just bring the coupons and then they would try and tell you about the drug. So but what half would the, the time do they would just you could process it with their insurance so and help make it free or patients. more. Yeah. So it's like make it free, maybe five dollar copay. It's like drop the prices for okay. patients. And the coupons were usually nice. We always save those, but sometimes they want to like tell you all about the drug and I'm like, do you not see like there's a dumpster fire behind me? I do not a have time fire. to stand here with you for 10 minutes while you tell me about your prenatal. I'm so sorry, but thank you for the coupons. Have a nice day. Yeah, it was a bit awkward. So sometimes I would be like, I would see them standing there and I'm trying to do like 10,000 things on the phone. And I would just try and send one of my texts over there. I'm like, just make them leave. Just I'm not going to get over there for like 20 minutes. So just yeah. tell them to leave the coupons.
1: Have you ever had somebody wait around?
0: yeah they'll like stand around forever and it's very awkward because you must see what's going on back here it's is great. all i'm saying drug reps anyway so back to purdue <laughs> purdue also had a program that they called toppers it provided recognition to the leading sales reps from across the country toppers got set on all expenses paid vacations to places like bermuda and this led to fierce competition among sales reps, which Purdue obviously encouraged. So the more sales you made, and if you got in the toppers program, that just was to envy, the cake. envy of the all the other sales reps, right? It's just insane. There were some stories about sales reps making six figures in one quarter. Wow. It's crazy. And one rep in Myrtle Beach, South Carolina supposedly made $170,000 in three months wow same crazy insane so, just in bonuses
1: yeah like that's it's
0: wow. crazy so there were some documents from the commonwealth of kentucky who is one of the states that was suing purdue and or the sacklers i'm not sure if it was both but at least purdue in their lawsuit kentucky showed that purdue had 78 sales representatives assigned to kentucky alone who promoted OxyContin in some form through 2010. That's a lot of sales reps for Kentucky. Kentucky is not that big. Kentucky is not that big. Have you seen that state? I mean, you don't need 78 people promoting your drug in that area, unless there's something sketch going on. You're going after these poor people who don't know what they're getting themselves into, just a thought. Right. It's crazy. Going back to what I referenced a little bit, a little bit ago, about how they targeted physicians. So, one of the cornerstones of Purdue's marketing plan was the use of sophisticated marketing data to influence physicians' prescribing. Drug companies compile prescriber profiles on individual physicians, basically detailing the prescribing patterns of the doctors nationwide, and that's so that they can influence their prescribing habits. That's what they're using the database for, which makes sense. Through these profiles, a drug company can identify the highest and lowest prescribers of a particular drug in a single zip code, county, state, or all over in the entire country. So one of the critical foundations of Purdue's marketing plan for OxyContin was they targeted physicians who were highest prescribers for opioids across the country, which is what I already said. Yeah, they were, they knew what they were doing. They're already going after these doctors who already tend to prescribe medications like it because it's easier to convert them to OxyContin. Purdue learned that, this is very interesting, Purdue learned that one doctor was known by patients as the Candyman. That's what they called him. Say that one more time. Purdue learned of one doctor who was known by patients as the Candyman. So these patients called the doctor the Candyman. This doctor was prescribing crazy dosing of Oxycontin, but Purdue sales representatives still met with the doctor more than three hundred times. Hmm. hmm. Wow. Seems a bit odd, doesn't it?
1: Yeah. Yeah. The Candy Man. Wow.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Purdue also looked at primary care physicians. So Robbie is talking a little bit about pain management, which we There's plan to difference. talk about
1: pain management mm-hmm. versus primary, primary care. care.
0: So you go to your primary care doctor because you have high cholesterol, you have diabetes, you have a minor injury, minor illness, and you go in to see them, they're your regular doctor that right. you go and see. Purdue was looking at these doctors, so not pain management doctors, not pain specialists, these doctors, primary care physicians, and they were looking at those doctors who are already, again, prescribing opioids, primary care. Is there are a lot of
1: primary care doctors that prescribe opioids.
0: They're in the past, I would say more so. Now they're all afraid of it. They're just like any narcotics, anything like that. They're going to n- no. know. Maybe they'll give you like a three day supply if they really feel okay with it. But most of the time they're going to be like, you need to go see a specialist for this. I'm not writing this for you because there's just too much going on, on with it just okay. after all of this crisis and everything is just too much going on. primary care physicians began to use Oxycontin more often by 2003, nearly half of all physicians that were prescribing Oxycontin were primary care physicians. And some experts were concerned that primary care doctors were not sufficiently trained in pain management or addiction issues, which is true. I mean, they're not to say that they can't take care of you, but there are specialties for a reason really and surely because of that because their belief is related in fact so primary care physicians usually have time constraints so they don't have a lot of time to to evaluate you you and follow up and yeah and really treat your chronic pain so it makes sense that they shouldn't be treating you because they can't just they really should not just be writing this drug and see in three months and then no actual discussion follow through treatment plans they they don't have time for that
1: really people know that like when you go to pain management I keep bringing up pain management Mm -hmm. you'll wait there for a long time you're it's not going to be a quick appointment Mm -hmm. it's going to be like a three-hour appointment that's Mm -hmm. why I like to go in the morning Mm -hmm. because that's the quickest time so you're not just sitting in the office doing nothing
0: waiting and waiting and waiting Mm -hmm. We've,
1: we've done that several times
0: let's slide over to consumer marketing we've been talking about how they targeted doctors now we're going to look at consumers in 1998 as purdue hawked oxycontin for chronic conditions like arthritis and back pain it decided to increase communications with patients and this is per company official records so the goal was to convince patients and their families to actively pursue effective pain treatment the importance of the patient assessing their own pain and communicating the status of how they're feeling with their healthcare provider will be stressed in this direct to consumer marketing okay so it's all coming across like oh you guys need to To talk to your doctor about how much pain you're in, you're not being treated adequately. This will help you. So that's bullshit. Purdue had a six-page pamphlet that was specifically for patients, and they provided this to the Florida Attorney General. It was titled, OxyContin, a guide to your new pain medicine. Oh, my God. So fancy. A quote from this specialized guide is, your healthcare team is there to help, but they need your help, too. It says OxyContin is for treating pain like yours that is moderate to severe and lasting more than a few days. They're just trying to help you out, you know, just trying to be helpful. That's all they're trying to do. To patients or family members who are worried about addiction, Purdue's pamphlet said drug addiction means using a drug to get high rather than to relieve pain. You are taking opioid pain medication for medical purposes. The medical purposes are clear and the effects are beneficial, not harmful.
1: So, what I've noticed with me is people you that use pain medication recreationally get a high. I've never I've never felt yes. a high. Yes. I've never felt any different.
0: And that's their argument is you're only addicted to it misusing it whatever if you're high on it but the problem is people are addicted to it and who need it for legitimate pain issues
1: no i agree with that you still
0: can get addicted to it and then you start to need higher doses and the doctor just throws it at you so now you are getting a high from it because they're just not treating the underlying issue
1: so my body will get a high but i might not feel it
0: in these cases you would kind of know because they would be dosing you on inappropriate medication At the, but for you mm-hmm. if you were to stop cold turkey on your medication you would go into withdrawals and that's how you would know that you're
1: addicted to it i've done that several times mm-hmm. and i get i get throw up amongst other things it feels
0: like you have the flu right. really what it is and
1: i itch mm-hmm.
0: yeah that's and I, thing. my
1: stomach is just so nauseous mm-hmm. that's why a, you
0: gotta really work with somebody to correctly come off of something like this
1: at my top of my narcotics usage i was taking 80 milligrams a day Mm -hmm. of percocet
0: and that's what some of these people were on as a long-term medication except they would take it two or three times a day as prescribed
1: so They were on 160 milligrams.
0: Yes, or more. Or more. It's crazy. Wow. Yeah. The lowest dose really for this that they would be on is 20 milligrams because they would take 10, if they got the Oxycontin 10 milligrams, they would take 10 in the morning and 10 in the afternoon if they weren't taking more because it didn't work. Right. Yeah. That's insane to think about, right? Yeah. Mm Mm-hmm. So Purdue also paid a New York City production company to shoot a videotape called From One Pain Patient to Another, featuring testimonials by seven patients from the Raleigh, North Carolina area under the care of pain doctor Alan Spanos.
1: How much was the video? I bet it was a lot. Basically, no,
0: okay. I have a little bit of information. So, filming took place at patients' homes, places of work, and other area locations on July 17, 1997, according to the documents. Shout out to July 17th because that is my dad's birthday. That's fun. Not this, this is not fun, but that's a fun date. Anyway, Purdue did not pay the patients. So Spanos received $3,400 as a physician spokesman on that video and another, the company records state.
1: 3400
0: or $34,000? $3,400. $3,400. Okay.
1: That seems low.
0: Not, yeah, but I guess it was for two videos. Okay. Yeah, but I don't know. Maybe they thought it'd be under the radar paying him that much. I'm sure he got other benefits from it. I'm sure. I highly doubt it was just that. In the documents, Purdue said that the patients participated willingly, wishing to speak out regarding the importance to them of being able to receive effective therapy for their chronic pain. Hmm. Between January 1998 and June 2001, Purdue distributed 16,000 copies of the video to doctors who showed them to selected patients. So your doctor is showing you this video where all these people are saying that OxyContin helped them.
1: Obviously, you're going to sign up. I want to be on that drug.
0: Now, key thing, though, to this is that the video did not mention Oxycontin directly. but they didn't say the name? No, they did not. But the Food and Drug Administration did balk at a claim in the video that fewer than 1% of people taking opioids become addicted. Because that is not a fact. That is not true.
1: Not would, true at all. Why would you shoot a video and not say the name of the video? Or the drug?
0: Because that was... The point it was a marketing but being like sneaky marketing i believe they referenced this in dope sick when they were saying that these patients didn't really understand that they were promoting oxycontin they they didn't really get it they weren't really told exactly what they were promoting they were just talking about supposed to talk about their pain treatments and things like that but they they were told and i believe specifically not to say what drug they were on to i think it was just a sneaky way for them to market it and try and get around some, probably some regulations The Food and Drug Administration, I'm going to talk about some regulations that they had going on and kind of why some of this snuck under the radar for them. Under the Food, Drug, and Cosmetics Act and implementing, implementing regulations, the FDA regulates the advertising and promotion of prescription drugs and is responsible for ensuring that prescription drug advertising and promotion are truthful, balanced, and accurately communicated. That is what they are supposed to do. There is no distinction in the act between controlled and non controlled drugs, so there's no distinction between like a cholesterol medicine and an Oxycontin as far as this goes. Okay. And although regulations require that all promotional materials for prescription drugs be submitted to the FDA for review when the materials are initially used, it is generally not required that these materials be approved by the FDA before they're actually officially used seems kind of pointless to me but
1: so they can use them and the fda doesn't even have to approve them
0: right they're supposed to submit it but they don't have to wait around for the fda to review it
1: so what's a good in the fda then? the
0: problem is the fda has a limited number of staff to oversee the enormous amount of promotional materials in 2002 for example 39 fda staff members were responsible for reviewing roughly 34,000 pieces of promotional materials so this is how things sneak through, if you're ever wondering, like crap, like what Purdue was doing. They got away with it because they could. The FDA had no way to really regulate itself, which is kind of sad.
1: Nowadays, they do.
0: I have no idea if they do or not. Let's be honest. The FDA is still kind of a joke at times. So, so
1: do, you, do you think the FDA is important or not important?
0: They're important, but I don't know that it's run the most effectively.
1: So it could be run in more of an effective way. But that's the
0: government for you. Yeah. Yeah. What a surprise. In 1998, Purdue distributed 15,000 copies of their OxyContin video to physicians, but did not submit it to the FDA for review, which was an oversight later acknowledged by Purdue. Yeah. Right. I don't think that was an oversight.
1: You think they perfectly, they just, they didn't care.
0: They knew Purdue wouldn't have gotten around to it eventually. I mean, it would have taken them a while to review it regardless. Right. So they just didn't care. They remember this is the same company that just started selling morphine and did not have a patent on it you're right remember they
1: didn't care way back in episode one
0: mm-hmm. they can say it was an oversight but i don't think it was an oversight i think that's just a bunch of bullshit. so in 2001 Purdue submitted to the fda a second version of the video which the fda did not review until two- october 2002 so a year later at least after the general accounting office inquired about its content. And after its review, the FDA concluded the video minimized the risk from OxyContin and made unsubstantiated claims regarding its benefits. You think, but that's already been out. They said it took them like a year to even review it. Just stupid. Want to pivot back a little bit to the sales reps and some of the things they were reporting, questions that began to arise as they were out and about in the field. Purdue sales reps who spent their days visiting doctors to talk about OxyContin heard repeatedly that the drug didn't last. In reports, the headquarters, they wrote that many physicians were prescribing it for three or four doses a day. Remember, the whole thing was that it was 12 hours, right? Right. It's a miracle. It's only 12 hours, two pills a day. Right. 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 Mm -hmm. A regional manager in Atlanta named Wendell Fisher wrote in a November 1998, I don't know if this was like a letter or a memo, he said, I'm concerned that some physicians are using OxyContin on a eight-hour schedule rather than a 12-hour schedule. This was, again, November of 1996, so this is 11 months after Oxycontin went on sale. So, so not even uh, a year later, he was already reporting that these doctors were not prescribing it every 12 hours.
1: The, the, the... It's a
0: regional manager, so he was okay. a regional manager of sales. So he's noticing that doctors are not prescribing it, quote-unquote, correctly. So Purdue's official response was where this is occurring, you need to train the representative on how to deal with it. They need to convince the physician that there is no need to do this, and that 100% of the patients in the studies had pain relief on every 12-hour dosing. Lies, which is not true. As we've said over and over again, that's not true. If a doctor complained that OxyContin didn't last, Purdue reps were recommended to have them increase the strength of the dose rather than the frequency. So don't don't have them and i think we've talked about this
1: would that work though no no
0: no they so don't have the patient take it every eight hours just double the dose just increase the dose and stick with every 12 hours there's no ceiling amount on the amount of oxycontin that can be prescribed sales reps were to remind doctors bullshit so you can just prescribe as much oxycontin as you want
1: and people won't get addicted that's not
0: less than one percent will be addicted And you can just keep going up and up if they're not getting the adequate pain relief don't have them take it more often just keep increasing the dose gotcha it's insane 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 they said boosting the dosage could extend the duration to some degree but never as we're saying now guaranteed 12 hours of relief but higher doses did mean more money for purdue and its sales reps the company charged wholesalers, on average, about ninety-seven dollars for a bottle of the ten-milligram dosage, which is the the lowest, as we kind of were just saying. While the maximum strength, eighty milligrams, ran more than six hundred and thirty dollars for one bottle, according to two thousand one sales rep or sales data.
1: How many pills in one bottle?
0: There might be a hundred in there. You know, I'm not sure because it's when I was counting out, was there hundred in them? I don't think they came in sixties because I don't know if I did a full bottle. I dispensed it. I'm trying to remember. They may have been 100 in there. Okay. So maybe for 100 pills. I'd have to double check on that for you. It's
1: still a lot though.
0: Yeah. But no, it's a lot. $630 for one. That's crazy. Yeah. Commissions and performance evaluations for, Salesforce, for the Salesforce were based in part on the promotion of sales from the higher doses as well. Keep that in mind.
1: So they got more for the higher doses. Yeah,
0: because the company got more because they sold it for more crazy now to end today this is something i actually found a couple days ago when i was finalizing my notes there is an interesting story from the la times which is interesting slash sad and truly in the waning days of summer 2008 a convicted felon and his business partner leased office space on a seedy block near macarthur park they set up a waiting room, hired an elderly physician, and gave the place a name that sounded like an ordinary clinic, Lake Medical. The doctor began prescribing opioid painkiller called OxyCon in extraordinary quantities. In a single week in September, she issued orders for 1,500 tablets, more than the entire pharmacy sold in a month. So that's like 1,500 tablets this one doctor wrote prescriptions for 1500 Is there
1: anything medically tablets. necessary to have that well I'm assuming that's going to more than one patient it's more
0: than one patient yes but I don't imagine she saw enough patients to even wrote
1: well I bet if you were, that's
0: so many patients to see to make that number not be crazy
1: I bet if you're prescribing over and drugs, over yeah you're seeing that mm-hmm. with many patients
0: so that was a single week in September in October she was prescribing 11,000 pills a week. By December, she had prescribed more than 73,000 tablets.
1: What do you think with happened? With a street value
0: of nearly $6 million. At its headquarters in Stamford, Connecticut, Purdue Pharma, the maker of Oxycontin, tracked the surge in prescriptions. A sales manager went to check out the clinic, and the company launched an investigation. It eventually concluded that the lake medical center was working with a corrupt pharmacy in huntington park to obtain large quantities of oxycontin you think because who would have that many pills like that's insane like it's just i can't wrap my head around around this entire thing That just baffles me sales manager michelle ringler asked shouldn't the da be contacted about this in a 2009 email Later that evening, she added, I feel very certain this is an organized drug ring. Probably, probably seems pretty shady. Purdue did not shut off the supply of the highly addictive OxyContin and did not tell authorities what it knew about Lake Medical until several years later when the clinic was out of business and its leaders indicted.
1: True. Rigo or riga racketeering
0: most likely by that time 1.1 1. 1 million oxycontin tablets had spilled into the hands of armenian mobsters wow. the crips gang and other criminals Wow! and they knew about this and they they actively looked into it and they did not stop it they wow. were still sending this medication to this pharmacy and the pharmacy was still getting these patients from this doctor just like you said it's a whole ring that's insane this this is what i'm talking about and why would they not in trouble for this they knew about it yeah leave you with that little thought like i said
1: so what what's going to be on the next episode
0: next time we're going to talk about addiction by the numbers so we can get a better understanding of how opioid addiction has affected all of us (laughs) I think that was the, yes, so next time we'll talk about addiction by the numbers to get a better understanding of how much opioid addiction has affected us all. So we're going to kind of see where it started, which is really just in rural, rural America more so. And what's interesting is Beth Macy's book titled dope Sick." When you look at it, she spends a lot of time focusing on heroin. But the people that are addicted to the heroin didn't start on heroin. They started with
1: Oxycontin for the most part. We tried to read that, but I think we, it was just too much.
0: It's an interesting book, but I was more interested in this than I was the heroin epidemic. I, I didn't, yeah, get as involved in that book, but it's still, if you're interested in it, I would check it out. It's on audible too. She has it available as a audible book.
1: Right. Or
0: wherever you get your
1: uh, books from books, books on, on tape. tape from Well,
0: I guess it's not books on tape anymore. it's like books on streaming.
1: Yeah so it's it, a book it on would tape. be on Audible. How old are we <sighs> you remember books on tape?
0: Yeah, like they're not on tapes and they haven't been on tapes they were on CDs and now it's literally on streaming
1: And that is our show for today.
0: Yes, that's all I got for this episode about the numbers and the sales and whatnot.
1: Thank you guys for tuning in.
0: Yes. Thank uh, you for sticking with us again. Sorry.
1: It took yeah, so long. Sorry it took so long. <sighs> Definitely go to limitlessbroadcasting.com for more information. Mm-hmm. Follow us on Instagram mm-hmm. at Limitless Broadcasting. Mm-hmm. And stay tuned for more.
0: Yes. And please hit us up. With, please
1: subscribe. Like and subscribe. Yeah.
0: Comments, um, questions. Yes. If you want to talk us. with us. Yeah.
1: Five stars would be great mm-hmm. on any of your podcast platforms. Yep. Helps us spread the word of the show.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So, thanks a lot.
0: Yeah. So, we will see you next time.
1: Thanks for listening to The Painful Truth of Living with Chronic Pain with Robbie and Sammy. Make sure you like, follow, and subscribe to the Limitless Podcast Network's own channel, Instagram, and all things social media. And we'll see you all real soon.